You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Outdoor Edge knows that providing a freezer full of meat is part of the reason we all hunt. And what better way to bring it full circle than to process your own wild game? Outdoor Edge provides a full lineup of traditional and replaceable blade hunting knives and complete wild game processing kits to bring your wild game from the field to the freezer. Visit OutdoorEdge.com and at checkout, enter the discount code N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Hunt of Ore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Empire where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 99, Live Fire with Larry White. On this episode of Huntivore, summer has finally arrived. School is out, temps are up, and outdoor cooking is back. Nick is joined by Larry White, the Wild Game Gourmet, to chat about wild game and live fire. Larry gives some insight to meat care, making a smoke bomb to regulate your smoke output, and his go-to hardwood of choice. Nick does some investigating on Larry's DIY clay oven, gets skeptical over flavored charcoal briquettes, and gets excited over Larry's dish, Chili Colorado. Kick back and enjoy this latest episode of Huntivore. Well, hey, folks, beautiful evening here in Michigan. I feel like our second state bird has hatched. The mosquitoes are absolutely going crazy right now. But, uh, yeah, they'll. I'm sure that hatch will calm down. They usually do. You know, you get that first hatch and everybody's uh, all, you know, we get start getting bit and it becomes an issue, but as we go on through the summer, it'll definitely calm itself back down. You won't be as reactive to them. Uh, but tonight, we are joined with somebody who probably has good experience with mosquitoes. We are here with the Wild Game Gourmet. We are here with Larry White tonight to just have a little fireside chat. 
Larry, has the big hap- hatch happened down by you? Are you dealing with the uh, the pesky critters already? And I, I tell you what, usually it's it's horrible by now, but uh, they did an aerial spray not too long ago, and I don't know what they sprayed, but it, it nuked them. This has been the uh, the mildest season I've had here. <laughs> well, good, good. Yeah, we had just some aerial stuff happen. Um, like the, when Triple E, that equine virus was going around, they got real serious about that, and they actually did some flyovers, uh, spray, aerial spraying for that. So, yeah, it's become become a thing. They haven't done that this year. And now I'm kind of looking at it like, you know what? Maybe let's, maybe we make this a thing. Yeah, it's 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 been night and day here, man. It's I live right beside of a swamp, and all my friends know when they come here. You know, they they're coming with full deep. <laughs> <laughs> None of that uh, uh, the citronella stuff. No, we need the real the real kicker. We need the deep woods. Anything plus fifty yeah, percent. <laughs> <laughs> Um, other piece of news that we got, I uh, just came across, um, the, well, it's through social media, but, uh, I made sure to verify it and fact check it. It is from, uh, the area newspaper. Uh, we've got, uh, the Lone Star tick up here in oh, Michigan. Really? Now they've got a couple, uh, specimens down in Kalamazoo County, which is, uh, I think a County or two South of us, uh, not right where we're at, but darn near close enough to be get real worried about that something else that's trying to suck blood off me and give me some sort of ailment. Now being that, oh man, it's going to take away my uh, my ability to have red meat. So that's a new piece of information we've got here in Michigan. I am not looking forward to having to deal with that. Yeah, I wouldn't be either, man. I'm I'm horrible with uh, tick control. I find them on me quite often every season. <laughs> Yeah, it's with our two dogs. They 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 end up getting on the dogs, and so we you know we keep a real good eye on them and the kids. Um, and just doing that kind of helps keep them off the the rest of the house and stuff. But yeah, there's been times where I haven't had any bite in, but I've definitely had like, you know, you have that one that one little creepy crawly that comes over over a sensitive area and you're like oh my goodness i think there's a tick and then so that then at that point all your pins and needles are up and you're like oh man how many more are here because there can't just be (laughs) one i'm sure there's probably a half a dozen but tis the season for everything to hatch out and want to latch on to your beautiful sweet flesh i feel (laughs) But Larry, how's your week been going? You were just telling me that uh, you had a sick kiddo at home. But uh, what else is what, what else is going on in your neck of the woods? Uh, nothing much, man. Uh, just trying to finish up the the uh, outdoor oven we were talking about and getting the property ready for uh, for deer season. I'm getting kind of kind of behind, so I need to play catch up. Gotcha, gotcha. You um, putting out food plots, or is it just new stands that you're you're trying to establish? What what's your game plan going on? Uh, I live in a, a pretty thick, swampy area, and it's pretty overgrown. Um, I bought a uh, land clearing saw last year. Been trying to cut out some trails, do some thinning, uh, plant um, a bunch of fruit trees, some nut trees, and uh, just just try to get a bunch of that done. I don't. I've never really gotten to the food plot thing. I think it's cool, but uh, I think I'm trying to tackle pretty much with my property, just doing the tree game. There you go. The habitat and being able to get yeah. the the soft mass and hard mass from uh, from trees. Once that gets established, it's one kind of I don't want to say like uh, you know set it and forget it, but at the same time it it starts to take over 
and there's a lot less maintenance. There's a lot less that goes into having to plant something in a plot. So, no, I like that aspect that you're going for. I've tried to adopt a little bit of that myself um, and focus more on, like, the habitat setup and really look at what the the landscape is giving me rather than have to cut out a whole bunch of section and then start from scratch. Yes, that's kind of what I'm going for. I'm kind of in a... Uh... I guess you could say weird area where kind of, they call it a like agriculture wasteland. (laughs) Like there's not much around me. Like everything's about an hour to two hours away. So if you do have any kind of food plots or trees with uh, their bearing fruit, I mean, you're, you're going to have the animals on your property hundred percent. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's really like, um, as far as a wasteland, it's just the, it's either too sandy or like you're, you're living right next to a swamp at this point. You know, nobody can run equipment through that. So you kind of end up in this little uh, little honey hole here where you've got the, the habitat for you that you can use and, and take advantage of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, there's I, I live next door to a uh, like regenerative agriculture farm, but, you know, they do strawberries and that's about it. Everything else is like chickens, beef. Um, and we had another nice farm across the street and I think they kind of shut the doors with COVID. So, I mean, that's, yeah, that's literally it, man. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. So Larry, I was digging a little bit on, on the background of you. Um, really interesting story. So you, you, you went through the Coast Guard and had a chance to, you know, enlist there and serve there. And then you ventured into, into culinary school. What got you excited about food? If if going yeah, from being on a boat to then all of a sudden wanting to go into culinary school, did your passion for food start prior uh prior to you having to find uh, a job or is this uh is this something you've just been around for your whole life? Um well, I was actually involved in culinary with with the Coast Guard. I went to culinary school originally with the Coast Guard. Gotcha, gotcha. Um but yeah, I mean, I've always been into food i grew up next to my grandmother and she was a awesome cook and just threw down meals every week holidays were, were were crazy i mean she just did above and beyond um went to culinary school with the coast guard out in california petaluma uh near wine country which i was young and dumb at the time and didn't <laughs> didn't take advantage of it but uh <laughs> yeah went to culinary school out there um uh had the luxury of cooking in uh, the Florida Keys, ended up in Charleston, South Carolina, which is a, a, a huge culinary destination and was on a uh, independent duty ship. And that's kind of where everything took off. So I, I ran the kitchen on the boat by myself, got to make the menus and do whatever I wanted. So they, they were kind of like my guinea pigs for, for three years. <laughs> I like that idea. Like, you can't go anywhere else, fellas. So here you go. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the military food, I mean, is known for being horrible. So it's like, you know, just go ahead and experiment throw it out there and see what happens you know it can't get any worse <laughs> yeah it, it could be an mre and uh yeah. by far you're already w- ahead of the game there <laughs> <laughs> so uh wild game um you had a passion for that growing up and then getting off the boat getting out of culinary school then you want to come kind of full circle right back into into your roots what got you excited for that uh, it was a multitude of things. I actually, I, uh, ended up, uh, running a food truck, uh, got into business with, with a guy, opened up a restaurant, ended up not being a fit for me. So I sold my share, 
and around that time my wife was pregnant we're getting ready to have my my little girl and uh i'm just a workaholic and culinary is one of those things like as far as a restaurant field i take pretty seriously because you can't have excuse my friends you can't really half-ass anything i mean you have to give it your all every single day or or it's going to fail and i I just knew that and it was like I, i don't know if i can keep that up keep that lifestyle up and getting home at two in the morning and and raise a family so i ended up getting kind of getting out of that and uh stayed at stayed at home for a while as a stay-at-home dad and uh i was you know hunting on my free time and i was considering going back to teaching culinary school um and those are hours are crazy too and then i was like man what what can i do to give back to the community that's gonna fulfill me and and it was you know that's led me back to the wild game it's and it was just like i figured with as much knowledge as i've gained over the years that i could you know, spread the spread the wealth with uh, fellow hunters. Good deal, good deal. Yeah, I've seen just in our local area a couple of restaurants start, and some guys that were just they're they're big barbecuers. They know their way around uh, a smoker. They know their way around uh, a spit. But man, that jump to making it a restaurant just is one of those things like. If you love food, then don't start a restaurant. <laughs> Find somebody else to start a restaurant for you, and then you just handle the part where you love to cook. Because yeah, that just engrosses everything that uh, that you throw at it. And so yeah, you gotta like the business. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, that's what I, I was just gonna say. Like you gotta love all sides of it, and if you're in it just for the food, man, yeah, you might as well find yourself some sort of business uh, partner that's gonna be able to to handle that for you. Is that yeah, is that uh, kind of what it was? Where you kind of came to that point where it's like, you know what? If it's if it's gonna be, if it's gonna come to this, just as you mentioned, like you're starting a family, you just don't have the gas for two of those uh, two of those things there. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, I just take culinary, you know, so serious, and and the business side, you know, it's it was just basically, I just yeah, like I said, I know if I didn't give them at all. Uh, things were going to fail. And if, and if I did, I just don't, I guess my mindset is that, you know, maybe I was thinking my marriage would fail or I'd fail my kids. So I was just like, man, I just have to fully get out of the restaurant scene and, and just kind of walk away. I miss it. I mean, I, I love the industry. I, I could do it for the rest of my life, but I'm just not willing to, to, to sacrifice, you know, the time with my kids. Yeah. And now it's that the doors opened up where you've been able to give back both in, technique and knowledge and just inspiring other sportsmen that you know the the idea of like venison being a one note piece of meat is no longer a thing and to even be like you know there's only one thing that you do with your panfish or there's only one thing that you do uh with your upland birds like that has gone by the wayside and i want to say like Larry, you've probably been influential in that as people have been getting more and more online looking for inspiration for what they can do with their harvest that, yeah, your Instagram is just full of amazing dishes that is hard to believe that, like, wow, that's the that's the same venison that I got in my freezer that I could <laughs> definitely I could definitely do that with just a little bit of you know, watching your reels or watching you go through a couple of your video clips, like, man, you can take this to the absolute next level so quickly. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I tell every everybody, you know, food is, 
for the most part is technique driven. You know, if you learned a few simple techniques and master those, it doesn't take any time. And then you can, I mean, the world is yours, you know, <laughs> create whatever you want to. And it does. You're, you're going to burn a few backstraps and you're, you're going to have a few dry pieces that you've definitely kind of overdone uh, to the point where you're like, ah, shoot, I can't do that. Or you find a, a seasoning that you're like, oh, man, that just does not pair well at all. But once you get yourself a little basis, once you get yourself some some wins under your belt, essentially, it's like, oh, this kind of opens some doors to like, oh, I can now try it this way or I can mix and match this way and exploring different ways of providing that same either high heat or low and slow there's a hundred different implements you can use and so just using that to your advantage and so yeah I totally agree with you that technique has got to be one of those things that really kind of sets apart uh, someone who's just getting into the game versus someone who's now like all right, I'm full utilization on my animal here if if you had to say, like, what's one thing that would help improve sportsmen take their eating to the next level, be it technique-wise, what would be one thing that you'd want to have every sportsman do? I would say the one thing that could reach probably every sportsman would, would be to let go of any, like, preconceived notions or, you know, something they were taught that you think that's true that has to be done you know like be be flexible and, and be open to, to changing things up um because i'll still get messages from you know guys that i know how to cook uh, on the wild game page and uh trying to think i made carne asada the uh the other week with a backstrap and they were like oh man you're gonna overcook it because it's so thin but it's one of those things it's like i've experimented with it and if once you get that meat so thin and 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 so and, and cut it so small and if you cook it with high heat yeah, it's got a little bite to it, but it's actually still pretty tender versus if you had the full piece of, of meat, you know, a full steak, like a four or six ounce steak and cook that well done. That's, that's two totally different products. That one's going to be like shoe leather. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, that's the one where you actually, you basically, I don't want to say butterfly because it, well, it's similar to butterfly, but you make an incision to get yourself in and then you were rolling out, basically rolling out to the left and then using your knife to be able to just to draw out that piece of meat so you're sheeting out this backstrap is that that's essentially what you were doing on that dish at that point yeah um like if you google any like um like sushi chefs kind of breaking down a cucumber into like a long strip or just search for like a roulade like how you would roll up a piece of meat um that's that's essentially what you're doing but if you if you look up the uh the cucumber deal that that'll <laughs> That'll show you uh, what you can do with it, and those guys are crazy good with knives. Oh yeah, that, yeah, the Japanese chef behind the counter there with his sushi knife, man, they are artists at that point. Well, it's cool that that you got the asada going out. You're trying something completely different with a backstrap. That yeah, people that are setting their ways are gonna, oh, what, what are you doing? No, don't do that. It's like, uh, uh-uh, just hold on, fellas. There's more that meets the eye when it comes to comes to that preparation. Yeah, and another trick I learned, I mean, this was probably 15 years ago. It was pretty simple, but great. It was, I think, a food network or something. So, Aaron Sanchez was saying that all he did with his, besides the seasonings, how he marinated his carne asada was with the uh, the pickled jalapeno juice. And to me, it sounded silly, and I tried it. 
and it, it really does. It gives the meat an awesome flavor and it and it tenderizes it pretty well. Um, and that's another little trick for for guys that want to or gals that want to cook their carne asada. I like it. I like it. The the pickling note, whether it be into you know the the dill pickle or whether it even be into uh, the jalapeno. At that point that. That brine can be more use than just the one note of sitting in your fridge the whole time. You can put that stuff to work. That's a great. That's a great tip. Oh yeah, our, our burger sauce at the uh, the restaurant I had. I mean, one of the main ingredients in that we would uh, we made our own pickles in house, and we would use some of the juice to make the uh, the mayo that went on the burger. That was phenomenal. This one's going to be tough. This is probably going to ruffle a few feathers. What is one thing that you would wish sportsmen would stop doing with their wild game? Um, I would say, I would say another one that I see a, a lot of folks doing that. I mean, the food's still edible, but uh, it, it would be icing down your meat and coolers and then like having the meat on the bottom and it just kind of like soaking in water. I feel like besides overcooking your meat, that's like the number one rule that, I see being broken. Uh, not that it's a it's a rule, but I mean you're just doing some <laughs> some disservice to your meat. Really is waterlogging it down. Um, I talked with a few fellas out of Missouri, and that was that was the whole thing that they did. They filled it up with with water, dropped the quarters in, and then they threw ice on top. And uh, they were they were asking like, well, what can we do to to help improve our venison, I was like, "Well, stop doing that immediately." <laughs> and you know, they you know they had to, we had to talk a little bit about through it. And I said, "Well, you know, get that. Don't let that water penetrate into that meat because you're gonna you're gonna waterlog that down, and it's it's gonna yes, like just like you said, it's gonna be a huge disservice. And so having them separate that to have the meat on top with the ice below and have a layer in between that, either a piece of plastic, something just to keep their quarters off the bare ice." Um, you, you want to get it cooled down, and I understand that they're in an environment far different than we are here in Michigan at that time of year. They're dealing with 70s and 80s and a whole bunch of humidity, as the, as you as well as in the Carolinas. It's kind of for refrigeration is at a premium. Whereas if we get a good cold spell here in Michigan, we can just let our deer hang for you know yeah. a good week and a half without having a problem. So location is going to definitely play with that. But I'm really glad to hear you say like, yeah, get that. Get that meat up off that ice, out of that water, and treat this like like it should be. Like it should be a, a prize, and not just kind of swimming in water, trying to leach out the gamey as as they were trying to do. Yeah, yeah. If you get on the uh, the local forums, they kind of treat it as a, a technique of of getting rid of the gamey, as you were saying. They like they think that the ice water soaking in the meat releases the blood and they just kind of repeat that process until the meat's been soaked in water and drained like five or six times. And, uh, they think that makes the meat better, which, I mean, if it tastes better to them, more power to them, but it's not for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Larry, we're coming into a spot here in, in a beautiful time of year. Uh, there's a, maybe a couple seasons that are still open. Definitely not here in Michigan. It's going to be all angling all the time right now. The Everybody's getting boats out on the water, and uh, seasons are going to be opening up for fish here very soon. Um, but one thing that's getting me really exciting is the influx of live fire cooking. Like, everybody's getting out ready to grill. <clears throat> everybody's ready to get out to smoke something. 
this weekend being Memorial Day weekend when we're recording this podcast, I, I can tell you there's already an army of guys that are buying. I saw them today at the at the hardware store buying up the charcoal, filling up the propane, getting their wood pellets. Like it is it is going to be time come here this weekend that we are going to have live fire cooking. Is that is that a big thing down there in uh, in the Carolinas? Is is this weekend kind of like the big kickoff, or have you guys been grilling for a little while? I've I've been grilling for a little while. I mean, I, I'm I guess I'm kind of weird for a, a Southern person. I actually love grilling in the the winter and the fall, and I, I grill throughout the year. But that's <laughs> those are my favorite seasons. But uh, things do start picking up as a whole here. Uh, a lot of a lot of barbecues, like in you know hog hog cookery. Uh, and, and that kind of deal are, are getting ramped up this weekend. Yeah, yeah. As far as fuel goes, there's, you know, wood chunk where guys are literally cooking that down for, and it, those are on those those big whole hog cookers. Is where they're going to be using that red oak. They're going to be using, um, well, at least on the briskets, they're going to be using the mesquite. So there's the wood side of it. Um, charcoal, I find myself kind of living right there in, uh, charcoal world right now that really gets me excited um, I've been dealing with a lot with a lump charcoal right now I tried uh, some of those cylinders it's basically like a briquette but instead they they compress it down into these cylinders that are a little longer a little bigger um, not as happy with those uh, for a number of reasons but then there's also then guys loading up on the propane getting their uh, getting their gas grills going what fuel gets you the most excited, Larry, when you're getting ready to either go out to the grill or go out to the smoker or wherever you're, you're heading out into, what fuel gets you fueled up? Uh, mainly uh, oak. I mean, we use a lot of, a lot of oak around here, and um, I like to do, to do blends. Um, I'll, uh, have you ever heard of a, a smoke bomb? It's kind of cheating. No, no. Tell me about a smoke bomb. So, so basically, if you, if you're unsure to how like how to control your fire and what to what to add in and when, you can kind of let's say you're starting off with oak. You uh, they actually sell the little cast iron contraptions where you can uh, you can throw in uh, I throw in dried herb stems that I saved from the garden from last year. You can put those in there, and basically um, that's enclosed in a cast iron box. So you can lose you can use aluminum foil and roll that up and poke holes in it. And once that heats up, you'll kind of have smoke that's permeating out of that uh, uh, cast iron contraption or aluminum foil, and you'll kind of get smoke flavor out of that. And uh, you can use teas, hay, um, herb stems, any of that stuff. Gotcha. So instead of just throwing, because I'll soak like wood chips or whatever if I'm going to really add a smokiness and then throw that right onto the coals, and I do find that I go through a lot more chips quickly because they are they're getting they're getting lit up far quicker but you're saying roll those up in a, like a little envelope of aluminum foil poke some holes in there and that's going to help draw out my my smoke time at that point i'm going to get much more smoke uh production versus throwing them right there on the charcoal uh yep yeah and if you're using thin uh, aluminum foil just kind of double or, or triple wrap it and that works for wood chips and then also expands for for other uh, seasonings you want to put inside of that envelope um, to throw some different flavors on your food. Nice. I like that idea. I like that idea. I've seen it, but nobody's ever explained it as in being a, a smoke bomb 
like <laughs> that. Yeah, we we first used them in culinary school. We would do like tea and hay smoked duck, um, and I kind of got the idea from there. And I ended up doing a couple Thanksgiving turkeys like that, um, probably about fifteen or so years ago, and just kind of stuck with it and messed around with it. I like it. I like it. Hay using like alfalfa at that point. What kind of what kind of smell are we getting off of? Uh, hay smoke what 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 notes are we getting from that man it's just like a, a earthy kind of like i want to say grass i mean it, it does it kind of has like a, a grassy i don't know i don't know if you if, have you ever just smelled like like a dry grass i mean when the, when the hay's being cut it just has that true earthy smell and it just for me it goes perfect with uh with pork good no it sounds weird but no, it's fine. I just I was like, wow, really? Just using using hay and like I see the herb stems. That would be um, something that you could probably get a little little something from that. Um, good friend of mine also said like too, like when it comes to like smoking things, like after a while, like it all tastes like smoke. You know, only a true connoisseur can be able to tell the difference between what what element was used to smoke that, whether it be hardwood or, or excuse me, like a fruit wood, which particular fruit wood that was. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not that good enough to, to be able to notice that much about the smoke, but at the same time, like reaching out and maybe getting away from necessarily a hardwood and into, like you said, those grasses and teas, like I'm sure that just has a whole new unique flavor that you could add. Yeah, those are, are are much more pronounced, especially if you're dealing with things like uh, duck or, or, you know, even if you're cooking, you don't eat wild game, you're doing chicken, and you know, any of that stuff will pick up the flavor pretty well, and fish as well. Oh, that would be really good. Doing like something like a tea on, you know, a sign of a walleye or something, that sounds really good. Yeah, if you have a, um, I don't have one anymore, but if you have a, if, if you have a pellet grill, that's, for fish i mean that's super super easy kind of just throw your fish in a pan with some butter and uh let the the smoke setting rock on you know gently and i mean you're gonna have a super flavorful piece of fish good deal good deal um i don't have a pellet grill but my brother-in-law now does so essentially I'm I'm going to be half owner <laughs> of a pellet grill here pretty soon because he's already asking, "Hey, what can I do on this? What what can I do on this thing?" Oh, you wait, buddy. We'll we'll do plenty. We'll do plenty. <laughs> they're versatile. I wish I could use them. I mean, they're good to have. You know, just if you need something fast to, you know, to get your meal on the table or to get, to get your temperature set. Um, but the humidity here, man, like I couldn't. I, I got my pellets from every source I could find, and it's just the humidity down here just destroys them. Oh geez, they start uh, I, I, deteriorating on the falling apart on you. Yeah, I couldn't keep a consistent temperature. I ended up uh, sending every part of my mine back and replacing them, just thinking it was, <laughs> it was something wrong with my grill, and uh, ended up being, to my knowledge, just just the pellets. I couldn't get any quality pellets around here. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I I do like to poke fun at at the pellet grill. Um, it's like I I refer to it as the easy bake oven. 
and how <laughs> you know a true guild a true grill doesn't need to be plugged into the house or, or or an outlet it can stand alone on its own so i do like to poke fun and mainly because i i don't have one and i think that's why i can make those those side comments i'm sure all my stories would change uh if i ever were to get one but yeah now i'm at a point too where i'm like oh shoot i don't think i can cross that border right now <laughs> yeah i mean they have their place but if i had a cheese i'm going i'm going the natural way there you go speaking of unnatural and i've been I almost picked one up today, and I I didn't mainly because I wouldn't be able to get after trying trying it out at least not soon enough. Have you seen the flavored briquettes where they and it's Kingford Kingsford that has come out with these, and they've have like three or four like blends of flavors. One of them was like. Uh, it's like chipotle and garlic briquette. Like it's literally a uh, charcoal briquette, but they've infused a bunch of this flavoring into it. And you're supposed to light it, and it's supposed to then change the profile of the smoke that you're adding to your your burgers or your uh, your steaks or or whatever you're making. Have you have you seen this uh, this product yet? I, I saw advertisements for it and I was kind of was kind of looking into it and I'm, I'm it's I guess it's a good idea. I I don't know if I would try it. I mean if, if one of my buddies was cooking with it, I mean I would you know I'd be all about it. But I don't know. I guess for me, like coming from culinary, you know, field it's just like I it, I guess immediately to me it's like, man, this thing's gonna make my steak taste like it came from uh, Applebee's or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the bourbon style steak isn't necessarily where the, the route that you want to go with, or the bourbon street grill. That's what I wanted to say. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would try it, but I don't think I would buy it. Yeah, I'm super skeptical, and for the for the reason of like, I didn't go to culinary school, but I I try to soak up as much as I can from folks who did, and you know, going onto blogs and and reading stuff, and I'm finding like when it does come to like seasonings. There's some of them rely on like an essential oil, especially to say like things from the the pepper and um, yeah, from the pepper family and even a lot of like the green herbs and stuff that they get there's a heat range. And one specifically I'm thinking of is like black pepper that it uses that essential oil. Once you've cracked that um, that little corn and release that oil into onto your steak or whatever that you you're adding adding that on it's going to go to work to spread that flavor but if then if you put it again back on if you pre-season with the black pepper and then go to the grill you're essentially going to burn off that essential oil rendering that that pepper useless like at that point you're like you're not going to you're not going to taste it as pronounced it's been burned off but now we get to the point now where we're going to try to take some of these flavors and put them into a briquette that I'm going to light on fire and get to a very high heat. I understand that they're trying to use those elements to then create smoke, but I feel like at that point it's going to be a a burnt smoke at that point. It's going to be a far different than like a flavor smoke where 
man, we have now incinerated that flavor. And what's coming off is going to be something that's, yeah, like you said, not not exactly natural. So that's yeah. where my hang-up was. I'm like, I feel like whatever you've added in there is now just going to go up in flame. Yeah, I figure if you're going to go, if, if you like tinkering with your food and trying to add flavors, and if you're going to go that route and spend that kind of money, you know, multiple times, I would just nerd out and buy you a, a, a the smoking handguns. They're like 80 or 90 bucks, and you can you can add stuff to the little port and 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 basically kind of cold smoke your food after it's cooked and uh, it it does work um i've used it for multiple things and uh, it's it's kind of nerdy but um it adds flavor and you don't have to keep buying bags of charcoal that are flavored <laughs> there you go there you go well good i'm i'm glad i feel like i've that my skepticalness is now shared that not to call out Kingsford for being a gimmick. They they make a great briquette, and that seems to be the one that I go for every time uh, when I need a when I just need a quick briquette to take to the campsite or even for the grill. But at the same time, going the far as far as to be like, I don't think that I'm gonna get the garlic taste or the garlic smoke from something that I'm now turning into basically a glowing red amber. I don't think I'm gonna get exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah, I think I might have to talk one of my friends into buying that stuff and <laughs> see what it's all about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man, I heard all about it. You should give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> when in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifle barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit tappacue.com or find the link in the show notes. And use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your queue. Well, speaking of gimmicks, let's talk about clay ovens. I feel like any dude that is going to be going head deep into creating not only his own vessel, but the fact of how permanent this thing is going to be. If you haven't checked out uh, the Wild Game Gourmet's Instagram page or you haven't found out uh, about Larry and what he's cr- he's making you should definitely take a look at this. You are creating an outdoor clay oven, Larry. This thing is super cool. Talk to me about what what inspired you to now create this oven. Uh, I mean, I've wanted one for at least 20 years. Um, I was, A, back in the day, I didn't have the money to buy one, <laughs> and B, I just the knowledge you know, if the information really wasn't out there that I knew of to, to build one, but now um, there's some experts online that you can 
learn how to build these things and and uh kind of once you dive into it you know these structures uh, the materials that are used for them have been around for, for so long and the techniques that uh i mean it's i don't know man it's just it's, it's just easy and straightforward um i mean i just figured why not yeah yeah it's it's one of those things like all of a sudden like it it was built out of necessity but now yeah. it's become a luxury for us in this modern age because we've got so many other efficient ways of cooking things but at the same time something is definitely lost in how efficient something is done but then when it comes to an old world style of trying to bring back a dish or to bring back a cooking style like nothing says you know nothing says better than home cooking than you've got dirt under your nails or you've literally like slathering clay over a form and that's essentially what you've got here if i'm going to describe it to to our listeners here essentially you've got like a a bottom plate that's going to be flat and you've been then just mounding layer after layer of clay into this dome shape i is there a is there a chimney out the back? Is there some sort of relief out the back, or is it just the uh, just the port in the front where all the air is just going to get exchanged? So there's a uh, like a small chimney about eight inches behind the the, uh, the door, and uh, and you can basically use that. You, you you can close the door and then use that um, that port. Or you can just leave everything wide open and run it like that. Um, I, I don't think I'll do too much like true baking with it. I mean, I'm definitely going to do some cornbread and some flatbreads and pizzas and stuff, but um, I, I don't know if I'll do any like true baking in it. Gotcha, gotcha. Is that that's the purpose of it? Is just to be an outdoor clay oven? Like you mentioned, some of the baking that's going in there. What are a couple dishes that you're like, this is going to be dish number one, two, and three that's going in there? What are you what are your top three that you're like, as soon as this thing is up and running, that is what I'm making? Being from the south, definitely probably some some cornbread. <laughs> we uh I live in like corn central here. We've got uh, Anson Mills, which is a phenomenal uh farm that grows uh heirloom grains. Um and we've got uh, Marsh Hen Mill that that has some uh, some great corn. They do some old school stuff. Uh, they've got Jimmy Red corn, uh, which is uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the the famous Southern chef Sean Brock. That was a, a corn that was basically almost extinct. And he ended up uh, getting some seed from somewhere and, and kind of bringing it back to life. And uh, that's one of the best corn meals you'll ever <laughs> put in your mouth. Gotcha. N- name that again for me. The uh, Jimmy Red Corn. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. No, I had not heard of of him or bringing back a, a whole variety. That's a that's a super cool story. Yeah, he's uh basically kind of the chef that revived uh, southern southern cooking. Uh, he's he's a, he's just an awesome guy. Like if you if you look him up, man, he's done awesome things for the uh, the culinary world. So. Um, but yeah, cornbread would be number one. Um, I would have to say uh, probably, I don't know, man, probably like have a braised wild hog shoulder or something like that and then finish that thing off in there with some good smoke and get a nice char on it at a, at a, at a high heat. Sweet, sweet. 
And then that's going to all be wood heat. It's going to be all wood that basically you're going to create that wood fire in there. So that's where your oak and your, um, yeah, your oaks are going to take over in that. Or is it going to be charcoal base? How do you how do you plan on fueling that thing? Uh, for the oven, um, I'm I'm going to use all wood that I've cut off of the property here. Um, I've got a spot on there where just essentially kind of like burn grates. So you, you start your fire and let the coals fall to the bottom. That's how I'll do all my fires for the most part, unless I'm in a, in a pinch for the oven. Um, but for the live fire station, that, I don't know if you've seen like the, the fire break walls that I have on there uh, or windbreak rather. Um, I'll, I'll probably use some charcoal in there. Gotcha. Quite a gotcha. bit. Good deal. Yeah. You like you were just saying, like using the, the wood cut from the property used to fuel to make something off of that. Um, couple years ago i was able to uh smoke i well i i took down a peach tree that just wasn't it it was here when i bought the house and the trunk had already split and the one side was growing the other side was dead and i got like two peaches off the one and i i tried to prune it one year to see if i couldn't like get that one side of the trunk to come back but it was just it, it was just too far gone as far as being a a producing tree. It was also just getting be a, become a hassle to mow around. So I ended up cutting that thing down. Um, but it, it was a spot for deer. They would end up pulling off the leaves from it. And so the year that I did cut it down, I ended up taking a doe not too far from our house. And so to put all that together, there was, yeah, I was smoking a shoulder from, or smoking a shoulder with the peach wood from that that tree and I was just like this is this is what locavore is all about this is about pulling off of your own piece of property and being able to sustain yourself like that was that happened all within you know 50 to 60 yards where this tree grew this deer probably munched on maybe the few of the small green peaches and so to have that same thing where now you've got an oven that you're going to be fueling with the fire from the property and possibly on a piece of wild game that was taken off the property. I don't know. That that stuff just gets me super excited. Yeah, man, I'm I'm pretty old school at heart. I mean, that's one of the main things I'm looking for. Like, I, I literally hunt pigs uh, 50 yards from that oven. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, yeah, my, my property's overran with them. So, yeah, there'll be some, uh, some property at a table going on. I like it. I like it. Well, hey, I'm bringing us down into our two dish breakdown okay this is it steaks cooked medium rare can i get my steak cooked that's what no question you hungry hey ma can we get some meat loud you heard this breakdown is where i'm gonna have you really just walk us through a dish that uh, that that you either really like or you would like to serve, and I've got some criteria here that's gonna that's gonna help us out. But um, from that, you're gonna also have to like let us know all the details that go along with it. We can't let you just skirt on by. So I've got two dishes here. The first one is maybe a little bit outside the box of wild game, but as we get outside, wanting to add more char to add more smoky flavor and use our live fire 
we do like to experiment with desserts that we're going to bring in that sweet element. Could you lay out, could you break down a dessert that you would either make on the grill or even in your fancy new oven? Yeah, I would say the my number one go-to that I've, I've never had one person <laughs> uh, complain is either you can you can do these on the grill, you can do these on a wood-fired plant, you can do them in the oven. It's uh, kind of like a charred or, or griddled peach. Um, you you kind of get those really, really caramelized. Uh, you can speed that up by putting some sugar on there, man, but just get those nice and charred and kind of tender and uh, serve those with a, with a caramel sauce that you can actually make um, in a pan over the fire as well. I usually do like a, might sound funny to some people, like a rosemary uh, caramel. Ooh. Um, and it's it's super easy to put together. Uh, I mean, it takes, you know, less than 15 minutes. Um, but I usually top those off together. And, if you, and especially for a hot summer, man, throw that with some vanilla ice cream. Uh, man, you're good to go. And, uh, and if you're from the South, it, it might not seem as weird, but you can throw a little bit of a, little crispy country ham oh there you go get the get the uh what do i want to say the not the heat but the um the savory side so you got the savory and the sweet playing off of each other i like that yeah it's that's that's a big thing where i'm at and uh yeah man that might sound weird to some people but that'll, that'll set that dessert right off oh man i could see that like we we enjoy shortcake up here in in michigan uh, doing, but it's like it's it's the one note. It's the strawberry shortcake, but I could see yeah. this even going easily to, yeah, fire braised or yeah, uh, charred up peaches instead of those strawberries on a on a nice piece of brisket or a biscuit with oh some whipped and cream on top or yeah the traditional go to French vanilla ice cream can't go wrong there, but I like the idea of even adding in the rosemary. I think that would really play off well. Yeah, it's 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 super good, man. I, I even make a uh, a homemade caramel corn. I might have this on the site. I, I don't remember, but um, I would do a uh, homemade caramel corn. I've actually made it with duck fat, and uh, you can throw some rosemary in there to infuse it, and I'll kind of put some crumbled bacon on there, and that stuff's phenomenal too. Jeez, oh, Pete's that it doesn't sound just good. It sounds dangerous. <laughs> that's, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, that's a bowl. Yeah, you go through a whole bowl of that, and then I'm gonna be looking for more. But uh, and, and you can cheat too. Like if you just wanted to to make the peaches, you can buy pre-made caramel sauce. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. And then just throw some rosemary and and caramel in there in the pan together, or the microwave, and just let that seep. And uh, you'll you'll get some nice flavors to there. And you don't have to spend all the time making your homemade sauce. Gotcha, gotcha. So for the folks that are looking for the easy route, that's that's the route to go with. Hey, there's there's an art to sandbagging. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's I feel like that's a quote to live by, Larry. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it's like I, I, I'm going to get into that more, like you know, with my account. But I just feel like everybody, you know, you know, my my page name says Wild Game Gourmet, so everything doesn't need to be fancy. Like I, I would like find some products that are pre-made that are actually pretty good that you can infuse yourself and kind of put to another level. <laughs> yeah. Well, things got to be done, like especially when you're making something like a whole meal. You, there's a timing element. You got to get things on and off, and either chilled or heated up. And there, there's anytime you can find a shortcut. Um, one thing I learned was that not a whole lot of chefs even continue to make their own 
uh, pastry dough just because of the time that goes into it. And with as good as we've gotten to be able to make pastry dough from the factory, it's, I mean, you're probably getting the better of the end there by not making something with that much uh, effort into it. Because at that point, there's so much that you're going to screw up with that, that if you're going to make something with pastry dough, you might as well just buy that from the store. Yeah, unless I have like a free day to, to fully dedicate to a dessert or something. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm buying it. And if you can go, if you go to specialty stores now, they have different varieties and flavorings of, of pie crust and all that stuff. I mean, there's I don't there's no really reason to make your own unless you just have a special recipe you want to use, special occasion, or if you have a, a free day. Yeah, yeah. All right, this last one here. This one's going to come with a little more weight. It is going to be wild game based but i'm going to leave it to uh the hoof the feather or the the snout whatever you whatever direction you want to go with but here's the criteria it is your last meal request for some odd reason larry you've been put on death row and we've had enough of the wild game gourmet but we've granted you one last meal and you get to describe what gets to be made for you what is going to be that last meal? Hmm. If it's wild game, I would have to say probably a venison neck in the style of probably like, I love Mexican food, so probably like a Chile, Colorado. Something really very hearty, you know, it's, you know, it's going to, bring back memories of childhood of gorging myself with Mexican food. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, if it's, if it's wild game, I mean, something like that, I think that would, that's my go-to. Yeah. Yeah. Chile, Colorado, some good beans, some rice, homemade tortillas, and I would be set. Lay out for me the Colorado style. I'm not familiar with that. Uh, there's different ways, but it's kind of like a hearty red sauce that, you know, has chilies in there. It's got a little bit of, a little bit of bite, like heat, but but not too much. It's mild. Um, I mean, if I could try to compare it to something people eat all the time at your standard Mexican restaurant, I would say it's like like a darker chili flavor tasting, almost like enchilada sauce, but thicker, okay. more concentrated, um, and robust. Um, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, something that's... sounds like you'd ladle that on something that wouldn't necessarily be the base of of what you were eating, but you would ladle that over. Is that where I am? Or am I getting that completely off base? Yeah. I mean, so traditionally when you're, when you're, when you're eating, it's almost like, I don't know. I mean, it would almost be like your meat. If you're eating your protein kind of swimming in in a, in a gravy, but it's kind of finished off in that, you know, you don't necessarily have to cook it in there the entire time, but you at least want it, that meat to, to soak that sauce up. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you're going with the Colorado chili for your last meal. Are you gonna are you gonna accompany that with some of that your of your cornbread? How would I go about making good North Carolina cornbread? It's it's pretty straightforward, man. Like I don't <laughs> probably pissing people off. I, I, I don't <laughs> no flour as in wheat flour, no sugar. Um, it's buttermilk, salt, pepper, pork fat. Uh, feel free to add some bacon and man that's that's it and high heat you want a, a super hot oven um get that nice crispy crust uh i just 
yeah, man. Uh, sweet cornbreads is sent in my book. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there's probably a few restaurants up here, chain restaurants that you'd be like, nope, we can't eat here. No, but we can't step foot in here. That's all on that sweet side. But I'm I'm glad to know that you're sticking with the basic savory too, because there is a great spot for that in uh, in cooking. Sometimes I feel like we're so accustomed to sweet and sugar that. That's we, we have to make everything sweet and sugary, whereas, you know what, you, if you leave it out, it might even be better. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, you know, when it comes to, to like, you know, true southern food, man, like I have to stick. I'm, I'm usually old school, man, like I like sticking to the roots. <laughs> well, good deal, good deal. Larry, this has been fun talking with you, getting a chance to know you, getting a, just getting some inspiration for folks as we get outside and want to use uh, just being outside to cook, using our wild game to the best of our ability. Where can folks find you? Where can folks get a, get a chance to uh, see what you're doing, ask you questions? I want to give you like 30 seconds. Just where can we, where can we engage with you? Um, I'm mainly active on uh, Instagram uh, Wild Game Gourmet. Um, I have a website, thewildgamegourmet.com. Uh, you can message me on either one. I'm, you know, I'm down to answer any questions you guys have. Uh, I actually have just joined um, Outdoor Class. That's uh, they're partners with Go Hunt, and we're going to be launching a uh, an outdoor e-learning platform. Oh, cool, um, cool. So, so I'll be a part of that. So if there's, you know. There'll be a few wild game chefs on there teaching um, uh, certain techniques and recipes. There'll be, uh, I think, Randy Newberry's on there, Remy Warren. Um, they'll be teaching elk hunting and all that stuff. Uh, so that'll be another spot you'll be able to find us on. And I'm not sure of the launch date of that yet, but uh, I would say within the next year. Well, awesome, awesome. Man, this this whole venture of you being able to just share uh, your passion with other sportsmen is just really taking off so i'm excited to, i'm excited to see you on there and, and engage with you uh through that platform that's exciting stuff yeah i appreciate it and I actually just sent out a um kind of a roll call i'm i'm not spilling too many beans yet but i'm trying to throw together a uh, a podcast that's wild game focused um it's nothing that's out there right now uh i think it'll be fun and it'll kind of build a community uh actually or trying to get some, not applications, but, you know, if anybody's interested in possibly being a, uh, a co-host um, and you've got a strong wild game presence, uh, give me a shout. I'm probably going to have something in the works here in the next month or two. Well, perfect, perfect. Well, Larry, this has been a wonderful hour to just get a chance to, to connect with you. I'm going to have you hold on for just a second as I send our listeners on out. Well, folks. This has been a great little hour here that we've got a chance to talk with Larry. As we get excited here uh, to be cooking outside, we want to bring our wild game out and be able to show it off. We want to be able to pizzazz it up, be it the grill, be it the smoker, or even those fancy easy bake, I mean pellet grills. You can get a chance to enjoy that and just make sure that you're really trying to then elevate your wild game, make it the best that you can, but at the same time, with the device that you're using, the implements that you're bringing along with you, be it your favorite knife, that thing had better be sharp.